Hello and welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My guest is Perry Adams, a program manager in the Information Innovation Office at DARPA. Perry, let's start right there. What does a program manager at DARPA do? So DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. And a PM is a really unique position. It's, I think, one of the best jobs I'm ever going to have within this agency. And so this agency is made up of a director, office directors, and then program managers, which really are the heart of the building, as well as really fantastic support staff. And so program managers are brought in from academia or industry for these two to four year tours in which they are given an enormous amount of power to uh, develop research programs in their area of expertise, present them to the building for funding, and then oversee, uh, uh, oversee the research and eventual transition of the research to either the government, other places in government, or the community writ large. And so DARPA also doesn't want to own any of the stuff that DARPA develops. The goal is to spur research, create innovation, and transition that technology either within government or to the community. Uh, We open source much of what we do. So DARPA does research in everything from biotechnologies to microtechnologies to the Information Innovation Office, which focuses on things like cybersecurity and AI. And so, for instance, Mudge, Peter Zeich, who is part of Loft, was a program manager in I2O, <clears throat> and where he oversaw Cyber Fast Track, which might be familiar to some of your audience. Right. And then Mike Walker was another PM in I2O, and he started the Cyber Grand Challenge. And I'm incredibly delighted and honored to follow in their footsteps. Those were some really fantastic PMs that have been here. So you said it's a two to four year tour. Is it mm-hmm. is it meant to be temporary? And is this do you, you view this as kind of like just a touch point in your career? So that's actually the DARPA design is that you everyone has an expiration date on their badge, which says when their time at DARPA is up. And the whole point is to spur innovation by bringing in folks from industry, from academia or other places in government who have a specific technical area of expertise and to give them the leeway to start uh, programs in areas of technology that they're passionate about to really spur research in those areas. Prior to DARPA, you've had, you've become very well known for your work in the CTF, uh, for your CTF, playing CTF with RPI Sec, helping to uh, organize and plan the DEF CON CTF. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what that background brought to this job? Like what, what is the, what is the, was there a direct connection between the, the CTF space and what you're doing now? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I wouldn't be at DARPA without CTF or the CTF community. I see that as incredibly formative in my, in my career. So I actually started playing capture the flag when I was in college majoring in computer science. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I cared deeply about national security And I really enjoyed theory as well as some of the lower level parts of computer science. I knew I didn't necessarily want to become a software developer. And one of my professors suggested I join this club called RPI SAC. And so I I showed up and I was immediately absolutely taken with uh, playing Capture the Flag. They also ran a series of classes uh, teaching people the basics of computer uh, computer security work. And I remember when I showed up, I didn't even know what x86 was. We'd learned MIPS in my, uh, in my um, architecture class. And that gives you kind of an idea of I was this really math nerd that had done computer science because I didn't know if math would be applicable. 
And I was privileged to work with such fantastic people and to sit side by side as they were doing binary exploitation that that really helped me get up to speed uh, very quickly. And I remember, for instance, uh, no one would give me a real disassembler until I could write an exploit using Obstump. Uh, uh, disassembling the code. And that was that was the kind of support I had. And it was really fantastic. And it was a very formative experience. Is, is uh, playing CTF something you recommend to folks getting into computer science or any of that stuff? Talk a little bit about what makes a good CTF and what makes a good CTF player. Absolutely. And so, yes, I highly recommend playing CTF as a way to get into computer security. And there are some really great resources out there so there was a class that my security club developed called Modern Binary Exploitation, for which all the material is online. But actually what I'd recommend is something called Pwn College, Pwn.College, which is developed by ASU and is a really fantastic course that has a ton of modules as well as lectures online. But I think the, the uh, skill set that you need is someone who is creative and curious about all kinds of different uh, implementations, uh, services, protocols, etc. really enjoys getting into the weeds of crazy parts of computers and tricking computers into doing fun things. It's all about how you can uh, manipulate intended behavior to uh, get it to do things you want. And what does it teach you? What can it teach someone? I think it teaches you everything from the core technical things, such as what makes a vulnerability exploitable, uh, how to do reverse engineering, all of that stuff, to uh, broader, broader skills, such as how to take a problem with a piece of code or a, or a um, uh, protocol that you've never seen before and figure out how to get up to speed very quickly, but also figure out the corner cases. Uh, it's, it's, I think it teaches you problem solving skills that are similar to what you might find solving puzzles. Because that's really what it is. Is there something to say for teamwork as well? Because I find that in the CTF world, right, it, it's, it's not about individuals at all. It's entirely about teams and teams working together and figuring out how to apply resources and use skills and so on. Is there something you can take away from that as well? I, you are such a good interviewer because you are guiding, guiding me to exactly the right point. Uh, uh, yes, yes. Teamwork, I think, is one of the most important parts of CTF. And I'll give you, you know, a, I'll, I'll describe why, because CTF focuses, when you play it, you're solving challenges in categories such as reverse engineering, cryptography, binary exploitation, um, web app or application security. And those all take an array of different talents. And often you have crossover challenges or challenges that pull on different, different skill sets. And so you might be really good at reverse engineering and not very good at cryptography or binary exploitation. So you're partnering with other folks on the team who are going to bring different skill sets and different perspectives. You might have a challenge that uses a very specific cryptographic implementation that some guy really understands, but it's written in a language that you're an expert in and you're combining that expertise. And so you're constantly working with tons of people on your team and figuring out how to give them information that they will understand, how to leverage their skill set in a way in which you can both talk about things using jargon that both people get. It, so it really teaches you those skills as well. And that's my favorite part about it is the social aspect. Which allows me to pivot to my next question, which is the reason I've, I have you on this podcast. This is this AI cyber challenge that you guys just announced at Black Hat and DEF CON. Can you explain the impetus behind this launch 
Uh, and why do you see this as a moment as you know critical for marrying uh, AI and cybersecurity? Because I feel like we're right on this cusp of this, uh, the hype meter going off the scale. And at the same time, some pretty, pretty fascinating and interesting use cases for generative AI and yeah, getting to the bridge of what is real and what is nonsense hype becomes, it becomes a difficult task. Like explain why you decided that this was going to be a project worth pursuing. Absolutely. So DARPA has a history of using challenges to spur innovation and Cyber Grand Challenge did a lot of great work spurring innovation in area of computer science we call program analysis that covers things like automatic vulnerability discovery and remediation. And with the advent of some of these really powerful and really interesting AI capabilities, I wanted to challenge folks to drive innovation at the nexus of AI and computer security, so pro traditional program analysis. And coming from CTF, right, I saw the way that challenges and competition spurred teamwork across multiple domains. And today, there's not as much crossover between these cutting edge AI tools and traditional vulnerability discovery and remediation tools that we'd like. And given just how important this problem is to securing the code on which everyone relies, I saw this as a great opportunity to uh, challenge folks to bring together those two communities and really drive, drive us to the edge of what's possible. What is the AI cyber challenge? So, uh, uh, the AI Cyber Challenge is a two-year-long competition in which DARPA is putting nearly $20 million in prize money on the line to develop the next generation of AI-driven cybersecurity tools that can find and fix vulnerabilities in all kinds of software. So this is a, again, two-year-long effort that I announced at Black Hat and DEF CON, for which the semifinals will be at DEF CON in 2024, and the finals will be at DEF CON in 2025. And teams will be challenged to develop systems, AI-driven systems, that can intake large amounts of software at the scale that we're seeing uh, necessary today, and find and automatically suggest fixes for all kinds of vulnerabilities in all kinds of software. And so there's going to be an open track in which anyone uh, who puts together a team uh, can participate, as well as a funded track in which to spur uh, entrepreneurial innovation, we're funding seven small businesses up to $1 million each. So I'll put in a plug right now for more information on specifics of participation, as well as going for the um, small business funding, uh, please visit AICyberChallenge.com. Uh, in addition to that, we just opened for proposals uh, for that small business funding. It's through a Cibra award, a specific kind of award designed for small businesses. And all of the information there can be found through AICyberChallenge.com and then linked to the Cibra um, documentation. And I'll put all the links in the show notes for the um, podcast as well. So the audience will be able to find it. But just to go back to this open track for, and the funded track, how do you think these distinct tracks will contribute differently to the outcomes? So I, I really couldn't tell you if we're going to see uh, what track we see um, uh, come out on top. I'm not really thinking of it as a competition between the two tracks. I see this as uh, I, I see this as a way to open this to everyone, but make sure that small businesses who might not have uh, uh, who might not have the bandwidth to uh, put 
resources towards this challenge can also participate. And also just as a way to bring more small businesses into this space as well. One hiccup I'm hearing, and I don't know if you've heard this, especially as it relates to the small business, uh, uh, this funded track is having to open source the the solution at the end of it and, and IP protection and, and small businesses worried about uh, about that. Do you worry at all about like the, the open source requirement blocking some really interesting people from participating because of IP uh, and, and company assets? No, not not at all. Um, because so the open source requirement is something that we also saw in Cyber Grand Challenge. And part of the goal of this program is to partner with the open source community to develop tools that they can they can use and to also develop tools geared towards software that we see as critical to software supply chains, et cetera. So we're bringing on the Linux Foundation as well as the Open Source Security Foundation, their foundation developed, uh, designed for securing the software. And one part of the conversation we've been having with the Linux Foundation is making sure that small businesses that participate have transition pathways out after the program. So the Linux Foundation really has a lot of experience in funding downstream uh, software projects that are open source. Now, in addition to that, we saw in CGC, the open source tools that are developed on these programs often have additional development that goes into them after the fact to make them into products that could be um, sold to the community. So while the while the uh, technology developed on this program is open source, there's certainly a number of opportunities to commercialize that after the fact as well. And that's something we saw happen on CyberGround Challenge. Okay, and beyond this immediate goals that you just mentioned, what kind of long-term impact you're envisioning this having on the broader AI and cybersecurity landscapes? Like, what are you what what does success for this program look like in your eyes? I think there's a number of uh, places where we're going to see success, but I actually want to circle back to uh, another aspect of this challenge I wasn't able to hit on earlier, which is the collaborators, the AI collaborators that we have coming on to uh, provide resources to our participants. And that's another aspect I'm incredibly excited about. Are you talking about big companies like Microsoft and Google? Because okay. that was my next question. If you can just kind of seg into specifically what are they contributing? What, are they, what is their role in this challenge? Yeah, absolutely. So we have OpenAI, Anthropic, Microsoft, and Google with Google DeepMind, who are all coming together to collaborate with DARPA on this on this challenge to provide resources to our participants that they can leverage. And so further detail about the specifics of those resources will come out uh, in the fall when OpenTrack opens. But for instance, available to uh, 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 special access to um, commercially available APIs, everything from that to potentially internally developed models um, and other things like that. So the specific details of that will be made available when we open for our open track. But I'm incredibly excited because that means that participants will have access to really the cutting edge technology that we're seeing uh, much of the cutting edge of AI technology, especially LLMs that we're seeing in industry today and can combine that into the tools that they are developing, combine that with uh, traditional program analysis methods to drive forward, uh, really cause leaps forward in software security tools. The idea here is to come up with leapfrog things, right? And again, like what, what would success look like? If you could look forward 2025, there's a big 
DEFCON final happening and you're having this big giant announcement of this thing that comes out of it. I know it's impossible to guess what people will be innovating and creating, but like, what do you, what, what, is there a, a, a singular tool? Is there a concept? What, what drives success for you? You know, I think we completely change the game and how we think about software security and how we run tools and software security. Right now, we haven't seen many, uh, we haven't seen many robust attempts to apply uh, modern modern AI to the software security problem. And we haven't seen folks explore how this can be combined with with the approaches we have today. And that's what this is going to be to be about. So we really don't know what's possible when t- we take the approaches we have today that have uh, inherent limitations and combine it with AI and say, how can the two things act as multiply, act as multipliers together to really leapfrog us forward? We don't know how LLMs when combined with traditional approaches like static analysis can really cause us to uh, uh, leap ahead and to create tools that don't require expertise to run. But, you know, as Dave Weston was talking about at the panel I did at DEF CON, Microsoft has been exploring some initial work in this space, the combination of LLMs with things like CodeQL, and they're seeing some really interesting nascent results that I'm hoping that we can further explore on my on my effort. One of the fascinating things I saw, I believe it was yesterday out of the Google security engineering team, putting LLMs to uh, uh, improve fuzzers mm-hmm. and expand code coverage. And some of the results, they were pretty startling. Uh, when we hear about AI and generative AI, it's all about chatbots and chatbots answering things very, very quickly. But there are some pretty unique use cases emerging elsewhere, like I just mentioned with Google. What are some of the things you're hearing beyond chatbots uh, that truly excites you and made you push into this area and be all in on AI as a security enabler. So that's exactly what, that's the exact kind of technology that I am incredibly excited about and made me want to push into this space. The way that in that case, Google is combining AI with something like fuzzing, which is a traditional program analysis approach to take an inherent issue in fuzzing, which is it has issues basically getting coverage over the entire computer program. There might be bugs in some hidden away place in the program that the fuzzer can't reach and using AI to basically break through what has been a significant barrier and really change how we look at uh, uh, using these kinds of tools and the kinds of feedback they can they can give us. So hearing that anecdotally, but also through some initial research, I started to get incredibly excited about the potential to apply modern AI to this problem. And it's not just LLMs, it's other things like neurosymbolic AI that creates symbolic representations and uses them to drive things like machine learning. Now, what what I'll say is I think we have a fantastic opportunity here to show how AI can be used to solve, or I should say help solve a key societal challenge like cybersecurity, uh, where we can leverage something that uh, I some really potentially uh, powerful technology for something that helps everyone, which is why we're putting uh, such a focus on open sourcing the tools that come out of this uh, out of this challenge and hoping to uh, make them available not just to the open source community but also to commercial software developers to build into their pipelines. Is there a place here for us to talk about like ethical and responsible deployment of AI, even as we're looking at it uh, uh, as a defender's tool? And like, what should people keep in mind as we talk about ethical considerations? So what I'd, what I'd say is that 
We're using AI here to uh, do software security. And one aspect I'm really excited about is uh, our systems are going to combine traditional program analysis with AI to essentially bound it. But further, our systems are suggesting changes to code, which is why I'm very, very uh, happy to bring in the Linux Foundation because open source development is this model where anyone in the world can suggest changes to to code and the open source community folks like the linux foundation have spent decades designing incredibly robust mature mechanisms for reviewing those changes and doing um doing a number of checks on them this is something that any software developer is familiar with code review you make a suggested change a commit to a repo and it has to be reviewed by the owner of that repo before it actually goes into it so the systems that we're producing are simply going to, like anyone else in the world, say, hey, it looks like there's a bug here. Here's how you'd fix it. Right. And we're still we're going to leverage the exact same mechanisms to do a patch review. Uh, this cyber AI challenge is not your only project there. I believe I went to the website. They saw there's an InGOTS program as well. Uh, intelligent generation of tools for security. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the, the intent there and, and, and how that program is going? Yeah, so that program focuses on uh, di a different area of computer uh, software security that focuses on how we measure uh, how we measure very complex vulnerabilities today. So AICC, the AI Cyber Challenge, is really focused on finding and fixing all kinds of vulnerabilities in all kinds of systems, everything from uh, C and C++ with memory corruption vulnerabilities to uh, logic bugs or command injections in interpreted languages like Python and uh, uh, PHP, for instance, things you might find in web applications. Whereas uh, Ingots is about essentially creating a novel metrology for complex vulnerabilities. How often are you getting your fingers on keyboard and doing coding these days? I, I, I imagine you're reading a lot of uh, uh, academic papers as, as a program manager there. How uh, are you still very much involved in, in, in research? So uh, unfortunately, when you become a DARPA PM, you uh, are, are lobotomized a bit and the joke goes, you forget how to, uh, you forget how to um, type on keyboard, but no, I, I'm, I'm just kidding. I, 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 um, one of the reasons I love uh, organizing DEF CON CTF, which I do, uh, I do today, and I'll, I'll give a little plug, DEF CON CTF, as Reuters, uh, Reuters reported, I, I, is the uh, Olympics of hacking. And so, but one of my favorite parts is writing challenges for it. Um, so unfortunately, because I was announcing AICC, I didn't write a challenge for finals, but that's what has kept me technical, has been writing challenges because the folks that play this are just so good and are some of the best in the world that you can't disappoint them by writing a, a bad challenge. And so that, that motivates me to spend time still writing code, writing, uh, writing exploits for that code, et cetera. It's a lot of fun. And just to close, the funded track opened yesterday, right? Yes. Uh, so the companies in that section, I think we you say you're going to fund seven companies, yeah. seven companies at the million each. They're going to be start, they're starting to apply now for that funded track. That's where you are right now. Mm -hmm. what, what happens next? What is the next milestone date and what should we look out for? Yeah, exactly. And we'll be sending out um, an update to the folks that added their emails um, at AICyberChallenge.com.
um, which is below. Uh, but essentially, we're for the funded track, we're going to be putting out an explainer for exactly how to apply to that SIBR process for companies that have not done a DOD Small Business Innovation Research Award. Uh, yet. Now, after that closes, folks will hear back. Um, uh, it closes on September 19th. Folks will then hear back if they were uh, got one of the seven SIBR awards. And then in November, the um, uh, open track opens for registration. This is going to be a pretty simple registration process. You will just have to write a like short technical um, uh, white paper that describes your, your approach. And uh, but we expect as long as you follow the application uh, guidelines, um, uh, everyone will be uh, uh, everyone will be let in. And then <clears throat> and then we're off to the races. We're going to kick off in February of uh, 2024 and there's going to be some pre-competition exercises. And that will culminate in a qualifying competition in the late spring of 2024. And from there, 20 teams that qualify will go on to the semifinals in Las Vegas. Now, the top five teams coming out of the semifinals at DEF CON 2024 will be awarded $2 million each, and that will fund uh, their participation in the program uh, for the next year, in which they'll have a year to really advance their systems uh, so that they can uh, compete to win uh, in finals in Las Vegas in 2025 at DEF CON. And the top prize at the finals would be four million, second place three million, and third place one point five. That's exciting. How has been the response so far from your peers? Or oh. Is it something you expect to be inundated with uh, uh, participants? I I am already being uh, a little bit inundated, but I the response has been absolutely fantastic. Folks that I have so much respect for are thinking about participating, are talking about it, um, even potentially giving up their sabbatical uh, to do it. Um, I've gotten um, anecdotally, I've heard from a number of people who are thinking maybe I quit my job and I form a small business to participate. Uh, and so uh, get some seed funding that way. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I think that uh, I'm overjoyed at the response that we're getting. Um, and I have to say that's one of the reasons I was incredibly excited that the White House uh, put out a um, press release for this and really gave it their backing because they see this as incredibly important in driving forward software security. And I think that helped show folks just how important the U.S. government thinks this effort is and how seriously they're taking it. Thank you very much, Perry. I'm very excited for you. I'm very excited to see what comes out of this project. And I'm glad you're the person managing it. So best I, of luck with I everything. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me on, Ryan. I really love this podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely.